0: Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. V I C T O R Y, victory, victory, that's our cry. Maybe you heard that at a ball game or something at one time or another. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. What I have discovered in my life, though, is that victory, there's a good time for this cheer. There's also a bad time for this cheer. Let me give you an example. I take you back to when I was a sophomore in high school. We were playing in the Seward County Tournament in the Championships against Beaver Crossing, Nebraska. I still remember the team. And I remember our coach calling timeout with about two minutes left in the game. And we were standing on the floor, gathered in the huddle. I looked up at the scoreboard and we were winning 69 to 13. With two minutes to go. 69 to 13 with two minutes to go. And Beaver Crossing's cheerleaders went out on the floor and began this cheer. We gotta win. We gotta win. Let's go. And I looked down the other end to look at the players from Beaver Crossing and they were all just, they weren't really looking at their coaching, but they're just looking at their cheerleaders with stunned disbelief. Well, I've also heard cheerleaders who cheered when their own team had the ball. Defense. Defense. Well, I'm just saying that there's sometimes a wrong time to cheer for victory, but there's also a great time to cheer for victory, particularly today as we're talking about living the victorious life and what all of that is all about. Now, where does victory come from? And You probably notice it's got a B period, I period, so I'm going to share with you a little acronym today that if you could actually remember the word victory, you can probably remember the entire sermon and preach it to somebody else. But where does it come from? Well, there's a passage in the book of Psalms, and it's in chapter 60, verse 12, and it says, with God, we will gain the victory. Now, I find that a very comforting thought because in and of ourselves, we are incapable of living a victorious life in this life. Apart from him, life is pretty dismal. But what is this victory all about? Well, let's talk, first of all, about this letter V. And for me, the letter V it talks about a vision. A vision of the past, a vision of the present, and the vision of the future. Now, there's no doubt that this congregation is at kind of a... Uh, A crucial point in its history. You know, we know about our past. We know what things have happened in this church over the last number of years. We have a pretty good idea of what's going on right now. And we're probably a little bit worried or concerned about where this church might be in the future, particularly as we're talking about bringing a new pastor in to lead this congregation. But we do all need a sense of destiny, a, 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 a sense of the past, the present, and the future. Many of you have heard this passage before from the old King James Version, Proverbs 29:18, the first part of the verse, where there is no vision, the people perish. Other translations have said where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. I mean, if you take this very literally from the Hebrew, it's where there is no prophetic message that comes from God. The people do whatever they darn well please. Now, that's kind of my take on the Hebrew. Now, for all of my ministry, and it's creeping up on 50 total years of teaching and preaching, I have taught about three different stages of the Christ follower's life. And I kind of lump it into. Uh, three different words in there, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, let me just kind of take that apart a little bit for you. Justification is what God did for us to put us in the position to really live a victorious life. This was when God executed his rescue plan when we were all bound up by sin and death and Satan. It's when God sent his son to suffer, to die, to rise again to be able to bring us back across that great divide that our sin had created and bring us back into union with God. We were justified by grace through faith. But that moves us then into the second phase of our Christian life, which is sanctification. This is where, now, as believers, as Christ followers, this is where we do battle each and every day. This is why we're told to put on our spiritual armor and leave it off. Because here, each and every day, we battle the devil, we battle the world, we battle our own sinful nature. Now, sanctification literally means the daily process of cleaning yourself up. Or put another way, now as we are believers, because God has rescued us and brought us into his family, what he's asking us to do is to live each day to become more and more like his son, Jesus. Now, the question is, are you doing that? Oh, I've read so many things lately, like a book called Unchristian, about how Christians are just as apt to do certain activities as non-Christians. Now, I would say what's happening then is some people are Sunday morning Christians, but Monday morning heathens. I wrote something this last week. I got a little bit of a, a little bit of pushback from some people, but I said, how do Christians correlate the use of the letters OMG, which stands for Oh My God, with the third commandment that says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I got all kinds of excuses back on my Twitter feed. Well, when I say OMG, or when I say Oh My God, I'm, I'm just doing that to make a point. This has got nothing to do with how I feel about God. Well, some of those people I feel like writing back say, well, why don't you just say OMB, you know, oh, my Buddha. (laughs) It, 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 It makes about as much sense. But here we battle, you know, and I'm just saying that we all struggle this way. I mean, I can tell you that there are days that I can't even believe some of the things I think or say or do. But I also know a whole bunch of people. In all of my years of pastor, I can look out and say there's a lot of other people out there. I'm pretty sure their lives are pretty inconsistent. I mean, what does Paul say? The good that I want to do, I don't do, but the bad stuff I don't want to do, and that's what I'm pretty good at doing. So we are called to live this life, powered by the Holy Spirit of sanctification to clean up our lives, but there's going to come a point of glorification. Nancy, you know about that now with the passing of your mother. She has been justified by grace through faith. She struggles for this life. Doing the best to become more and more like her Savior, Jesus Christ. But now guess what? Boom. Last breath here. Next breath in heaven. And when she arrived in heaven, sin and death and Satan have no longer a hold on her. That's why I'm saying that as Christians, as Christ followers, we need to have a threefold vision of the past. Justification. What's been done. Of sanctification. What we're going through right now. And what we're looking forward to someday In the future. Now, the next letter I is integrity. Now, the Greek for integrity is a one piece heart. Uh, It is, as Dwight Moody sometimes said, it's are you the same person in the dark as you are in the light? I mean, do you actually talk the talk and walk the walk? Now, let me give you a biblical example. Do you remember the story of Joseph? I mean, Joseph was kind of a, a spoiled kid in a way. I mean, his father treated him as the best. Gave him that coat of many colors. He he kind of was obnoxious in a way with his brothers lording it over them. But you may remember that he was thrown in a well. They were going to let him there, but they found a way to sell him into slavery. And and then poor Joe ends up, you know, in Egypt. Then he's hauled out. But he ends up at Potiphar's house. And he soon becomes in charge of everything. But one day Potiphar is gone. And what happens? Mrs. Potiphar has got the hots for Joe. Probably at this point, a good-looking 18 to 25-year-old man. Skilled, intelligent, everything. And she tries to entice him to sleep. Come to bed with me. Now, what Joseph said at this point was a word of Integrity. He said, now I I want you to understand, his daddy was not around. His daddy was hundreds of miles away. He had no family around. I mean, no one was even in the house. I mean, the question is, who would know if he went to bed with Mrs. Potiphar? I mean, who would know? But what did Joseph say? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God. How can I do this and sin against God? Not about against my... Father or my family name or my position, but how can I do this? Great. He was a man of integrity. In Proverbs chapter ten verse nine, it also says, "The man of integrity walks securely. He doesn't worry about things. Why? But he who takes crooked paths will be found out sooner or later. People who are not walking the way to walk are going to be found out. So, vision, past, present, future." To be a, a, a person of integrity leads towards a victorious life. Let's take a look at C, which is commitment. Now, there's all kinds of things to be committed towards. Uh, a lot of people today say that they're overcommitted. No, I, I think our problem in our society today is people are over-involved and under-committed. I mean, they, they got themselves into all kinds of things. I'm, almost hap- I'm happy we've raised our kids already. I'm happy they're gone out of the house. Part of it is, you know, I sometimes look at calendars in people's houses. I remember looking at, ca- and it's like, we got to take them to writing here and dancing here and this, and this there and this there and this there. You know, we got the mom wagon and the, all that kind of thing. We're hauling kids to and fro, and we got, the, we got them so over-involved. But at the same time, by, as we we're over-involved, guess what? Our commitment to what truly is important wanes. When I grew up, like many of you, did you ever have athletic competitions on Wednesday night that would have ever interfered with the Lenten service or an Advent service? Probably not. In high school, the very fact that we were scheduled to play a regional basketball game in Lent on a Wednesday was some dispute whether we were going to get to play or not. Did they ever have soccer or stuff on a Sunday morning growing up? Probably not. Hockey matches? Probably not. So we get people over-involved. And then our commitment wanes where? In the most important part of our life, the part that helps us and stirs us in our sanctification walk. Well, I've listed a few things I think you ought to be committed to. You ought to be committed to worship. I've asked confirmation kids, what do you consider to be regular worship? And most of them will say, well, if you're there, I don't know, 50% of the time. Okay, that's committed to work. Yeah, that'd be about right. You yeah. know, once or twice a month, that'd be committed. I said, okay, you're going to get married someday. Probably. What would you think if your husband or wife only came home once every two to three times a month? <laughs> think that husband or wife is committed? Uh, no. Yeah, are you going to have a car someday? Oh yeah, I'm going to have a car. What if your car only started every one to two days, but the other five didn't? Is, is that is that a, a car that you can trust? Probably not. I, my rule of thumb is you're always in worship unless you know, health or some other thing you know, causes you not to be there. It's just a commitment. Um, I tried to actually skip church one time. I remember my brother-in-law bought tickets for the NCAA Midwest Regionals at the University of Nebraska, and I was out there, and I went to bed on Saturday night. I woke up at 7 in the morning with a start. It was like, oh my gosh, I oh, hold up! I'm not preaching today. I can just lay here and pretend to be a real Lutheran. <laughs> and you know what, I couldn't do it I got up and I drove over And went to church with my mother But, you know, we also have commitment to the word You know, work the word Read the word, work the word And the word will work you I mean, I can't say that often enough To be in God's word A commitment to it A commitment to prayer You know, praying for one another Praying for ourselves You know, just, just praying just to talk to God With no other agenda in mind a commitment to each other. You know how, how, how good it feels to know that you've really got a good friend or somebody you can talk to. Somebody who will hang in. Somebody who will call you to account. Somebody who will, who will, uh, will guard your back. Uh, you, you need people like that. A, a great commitment to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Uh, I think part of our mission statement at one of our churches was, we believe that a great commitment to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment will always make a great church. I mean, think about that. If we are totally committed to the Great Commission, making disciples, if we are totally committed to the Great Commandment, to love one another, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to love God, you've got a pretty good church going. There's also a commitment to, and I didn't put this up here, biblical stewardship. Well, this is where the rubber sometimes hits the road. First Kings says your hearts must be fully committed to God. Let me talk a little bit about biblical stewardship, because we're going to make some commitments this morning. Now, I've had people tell me in the past, oh, Pastor, you shouldn't talk so much about money. Well, guess what? Jesus talked more about money than he did any other subject in the Bible. It obviously was a very important thing for him to know. We just started a Bible class this morning about, like, how much should you give? And what does the Bible actually say about it? Well... I am going to suggest that in a church, we all need to learn the difference between tithes and offerings. You're going to see that while a lot later. I put that up on the screen almost every week. We're now worshiping, worshiping, that's the key word, worshiping with our tithes and our offerings. And to me, a tithe is, as a biblical tithe, 10%, which we bring to the storehouse, which is this place. And then our offerings are anything we give above and beyond. Just to give you an example, my wife and I... We've practiced that for many years. But we also give offerings. There are other ministries that we enjoy supporting. We have been supporters, for example, of Christ for India for many years. We support Crossways, who helps us with our materials uh, as we teach in prison. I mean, there are all kinds of other things. We support a missionary who works uh, for what used to be Jews for Jesus. Now it's called Chosen People Ministries, Jews ministering to other Jews on behalf of Jesus biblical stewardship. Now, I said something in Bible class this morning that every church I've ever been in, and I would say it here, if you've never tithed, you ought to try it. And if you find out it doesn't work, I will make sure that this church gives you your money back. Now, when i said that in past churches, you know, the, the secretary of finance almost fainted. But I just say, go ahead and do it. In fact, if you've never, never tried, now's as good a time as, as any. In fact, tithing is an act of faith. Uh, Genesis 14 talks about it. It's an act of faith. Uh, it's, it was instructed by God. God in the book of Leviticus talked about the importance of tithing uh, to bring the first fruits into God's house. Jesus talks about it in Luke. Jesus actually affirms it. A lot of people say, well, Jesus never talked about it. No, Jesus never said not to. He commended it. It's also coupled with God's blessing. Read Malachi 3 sometimes. It said, will a man rob God? <laughs> when do we ever rob God? He says, with your tithes and offerings. He said, bring it. And there's so many blessings. Uh, I don't know, maybe some of you have a life verse. My life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And guess what? He'll make straight your paths. But the interesting thing here is every promise in the Bible, all 330 some of them, every promise has a premise. You want God to straighten out your life? You want to be able to live a victorious life? Then maybe you need to start by following the first part of that passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And where your treasure is, what does it say? That's where your heart is. Kind of an interesting connection from wallet to heart, isn't it? Luther said, the last thing converted in a man is his wallet. I believe that. God's blessings come. Commitment. T, tenacity. Tenacity. You have to come up with some interesting words to get this to come out right for victory. But tenacity, we don't use that word very often. But tenacity is kind of learning to hold on in the dark and remember what God does in the light. Now I'm going to give you a little example. Uh, back when I was still coaching high school basketball and teaching, uh, I used to do a fair amount of running. And I'd go run to the neighbor in, neighbor in the morning. And down the block was a house that had, I apologize for, for this, but they had one of those little rat dogs. Uh, that little Taco Bell dog, I guess that's what it was. I mean I personally like a dog that goes, woof, not eep, eep, whatever. <laughs> but he used to have paws up on the screen doors. I'd run by go, yep, 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 yep. I like, don't oh, be quiet. Well, one day a little yap hound was out on the front lawn and decided to fang me a good one. And he sunk his little fangers in my pant leg. And I said, Okay, you want to run? Let's run. So I ran with that little dude. I just drug him along the street. Sorry, dog lovers. And when I got down the end of the block, I came back and I shook him off in the front yard. And the lady came up and says, what are you doing with my dog? I said, just playing. <laughs> well, guess what? That dog illustrated tenacity. He hung on for his dear life, not knowing where he was going to end up or where he was going to get deposited or what this big dude was going to do with it. Do you ever feel like giving up? Have you ever felt like giving up? Oh, gosh, all of us have. I mean, there's some times when life just stinks. It just, it really does. And a lot of people, when that happens, you know, when the going gets tough, Vince Lombardi said, the the tough get going. Well, I find a lot of people that when the going gets tough, they just plain simple bail out. They back out, they're gone. God says, hang on, hang on. It'll be okay. Why? Because I'm God. The reason we give up is because we think we can no longer do it. Guess what? You can't do it. God can. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Well, the letter O is for obedience. Well, obedience leads to an anointing. I'm going to tell you another quick little story. Uh, I, I'm teaching in Nigeria, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, and I just finished speaking to you know, several hundred pastors, and at the back of the place we were at, one of the men from our church had a prayer booth, and so he was praying for people in the back, and I noticed when I was done, I walked back, that he had a rather long line, so I thought, well, I'd go help Kurt for a while, and I would take at least half of his people. Well, as I set myself down, I turned around, and there's a guy standing, he's like, people don't have that same space we have. They just went right here. But one after another, I had a person come up to me, and when I asked them what they wanted me to pray for, they asked, they wanted the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now think about that. What does that mean? Pray that we receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Well, what they were asking was the ability to speak in tongues or... Uh, stuff like that. Now, what I I said to the person was after they said pray that I receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I said, "Have you been obedient?" And the guy said, "No, I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit." And I said, "No. Pay attention. Am I speaking English and you're understanding? Have you been obedient or not?" He said, "I don't know what that's got to do with it. He said, "I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit." I, this is before George, George H. Bush, you know, read my lips. But have you been obedient? Because scripture plainly says what? That obedience leads to the anointing of the spirit. We need to, we need to be obedient. Obedient. Now, when I got done with that guy, the next guy wanted the same thing. I went through the same thing. And a lot of people want the blessings, they want the promises, but they don't want what goes with it. Back up to Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. They want their life to go smooth, they want their path to go straight, but they're not willing to trust God with all their heart. They're not willing to trust on God with all their understanding. They're not willing to acknowledge God for everything. Try it and see what happens. Matthew 28, does Jesus in the Great Commission. Teaching them to do what? Obey. That's a big deal today. Just get people to be obedient to what God asks them to do. Trust in the Lord. See, every promise has a premise, which is why some people do not live with much victory in their life, because they're not willing to deal with the premises of God. R is readiness to serve, to develop a servant's heart. Now, most of us would prefer to have somebody else wait on us. I mean, kids are pretty good at that, doing that with their parents. You know, "Eh, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. You know, wait on me, wait on me, wait on me. And sometimes parents spend their whole life doing that. But, you know, we teach our children, you know, you've got to be a servant as well. Sometimes pastors even have to teach congregations this. My first church, they had a dinner. And when the dinner was over, I started taking the paper, gathering some, Paper plates and stuff off the table and rolling up paper, and the guy comes to me and says, Pastor, you shouldn't be doing this. You go sit down over here. And I did, but I sat there and I thought to myself, why can't I do this? Now, I understand he was trying to honor the pastor. But yet, I was always taught, what? <laughs> Clean up after yourself, <laughs> you know, help, be helpful, stack up some chairs, uh, do whatever. Matthew 20, 20, says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. You humble yourself. You do things. You may not always have spiritual gifts in every area. But it doesn't mean you can't do those. Uh, I mean, I fully admitted that one of the spiritual gifts I, I really lack is the gift of mercy. But it doesn't mean that I can't be merciful. Uh, there are some people that are that are wonderful. I mean, I always joke that if you look up the word hospitality, Nancy's picture will be there right by it. Uh, she's, she's very good at hosting and doing those kinds of things. Uh, she would probably tell you that I'm not, but it doesn't mean that I don't ultimately welcome people into the house. She didn't frown when I said that, did she? <laughs> good, she's still <laughs> smiling. Okay, since we have company coming today. <laughs> but be servants, servants one to another, servants of the Lord. The why is yoked, yoked with Christ, or yoked with the Spirit. I grew up in Nebraska, raised by my grandparents. Um, My grandpa was the janitor, custodian, if you will, at St. John's Lutheran Church School and Parish Hall. We lived about two blocks away from the school. You can see it from our front porch, and there was this big field between our house and whatever. Well, in Nebraska, you know, it snows a lot, not like Texas. snows a lot, big drifts. And when it came time to go to school and my my grandpa would get me up, because I had to go early with him to bring those little milk bottles inside so they didn't freeze outside, to scoop the walks and get all that stuff ready and get the furnace going. And the first thing we would do is we would strap on those old four-buckle overshoes. Now, some of you lived up north, you know what those are. You didn't have little totes like you just slip on today. These are big old rubber things with big steel buckles. And we'd head off. And my grandpa wasn't a particularly big man, maybe about five foot six or seven. But, you know, I was a little guy. But walking through those big snow drifts from our house to the school, the best way to do that was what? Walk where he had walked. And so as a little guy, that was kind of hard because, you know, I had to stretch a little bit to get in those footprints. But I thought that was really great. To be able to walk in the footsteps of my grandfather. Now, to be quite honest, my grandfather also exhibited a number of other wonderful characteristics that I tried to imitate. I wanted to be like my grandpa. Well, when my kids were little and we would go out walking in the snow, what would they do? They wanted to walk in dad's footprints, too. And hopefully, I gave them a good enough example they'd want to do that. Even with my grandson, you know, he liked it. He'd stretch out. He'd try to get in those footprints too. Uh, there's a Christian song that's a very important song in our our family. Um, and it says, "May the footsteps that we leave lead them to believe. May all who come behind us find us faithful. You know that we would be yoked with Christ, and that we'd actually leave some good footprints behind that people would actually want to follow." Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy. I mean, it's easy to follow him. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Well, I want to just end up with just, just three encouragements here at the end. But hopefully you'll be a member of victory. You know, somebody says, you know, what was the sermon about? Well, living a victorious life. Well, what was it about? What was it about vision, integrity, and commitment, tenacity, and obedience, and readiness to serve, and being yoked with Christ? I got it. Wow, I got a whole sermon. I go, we'll preach it at a to the nursing home later today, or wherever. But if you really don't want sin, death, and Satan to be your master, you can have victory. And one of, the, one of the ways to start is very simply is take a realistic look at how your sins are weighing you down, decide to actually do something about it. You know, when you get up in the morning, many people are already stressed out, worn out, uh, guilty, worried, simply because you battle every day with maybe habitual sin. I say sometimes you need to allow yourself with a couple of luxuries. One is just take a, a serious look at what sin is doing to you. I mean, if you've got a problem with temper, I mean, look what it's doing to you. You've got a problem with lust, look what it's doing to you. I mean, if you've got a problem with procrastination, uh, do think about that tomorrow. No. Think about it right now. And then the next thing is to allow yourself to imagine what it would be like if those kinds of things would be gone for your life. What would it be like if your temper was no longer there? What if that, those lustful feelings were no longer there? Yeah, allow yourself to imagine what it would be like to actually walk in victory. What would it be like to be free from anger and guilt and lust and lazy? Just imagine how empowering that would be. If you read Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews said, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily entangles. I don't know what your entangling sin is, but I think we all got them. Imagine how much easier it would be to run in victory if we could get rid of that. If you want victory in this life, victory over sin, victory, whatever, (laughs) think about how much your sin is slowing you down and how great it's going to be to move on. And the other thing I would tell you is, you're running this life, uh, no matter how many times you fall down, get up. If <laughs> you fall down, get up. Uh, Hebrews also, the guy wrote Hebrews, says, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Now, when, he, when I read that in Hebrews 12, it's kind of like, this guy knows what it's like to stumble. I mean, your hands get tired, your knees are weak, you're not sure you can stand up. But I, you can always hear Jesus say, no, get up, get up. Get on your feet, stand tall, take another step, don't be afraid. Don't worry about that sin so, that so easily entangles or besets you. Uh, I can tell you that in my own life, my own ministry, I faced a lot of different obstacles. There have been times when I felt, uh, this is kind of somewhat melodramatically, but it's the way you are, that the whole world is against me. Have you ever felt that way? The whole world was against you. Uh, when probably nobody else knew about your problem but you, but you still felt that way. Uh, Those times certainly are difficult, but the only times I've been seriously tempted to quit was when my own failures got the best of me. Uh, It was during those times I thought, I'm never going to overcome this. Uh, The one time that I ever seriously ever thought about quitting the ministry, I started to write a letter of resignation. I turned around and my Bible was open on the credenza behind me. And there are some Bible passages underlined in Joshua. It says, be bold and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. And I was like, okay, buddy, suck it up and move on. You know, a lot of Christians who feel the same, they can handle challenges from without, but they get, they get beat up by the challenges that are still inside. So just don't let it happen to you. If you're tempted to give up, try again. Hebrews just says, make a straight path. It's like get back to the drawing board. If the last plan didn't work. You know, this church has made some plans. Initially, it was to call that pastor. we just kind of hit a little wall. It was called salary. You know, the easiest thing to do would be kind of go, oh, woe is us. You know, oh, poor, poor, pitiful me. Uh, no, you get up. God's still in the mix. Entrust it to God. Move on. You know, everybody in this room has something in common today. Do you know that? In fact, I'm going to take it a little bit further. Every, everybody in this room today has one ugly thing in common. It's called sin. We all struggle with it. Uh, some of us have sins that are more visible than others. Uh, but we all struggle with it. Sin that trips us up, knocks us down, makes you want to do nothing more than just throw in the towel and quit. But the, question is, but the thing is, you don't need to quit. It's a battle you can win because you've got somebody stronger than yourself to help you in this battle. I mean, God says, just admit it. Turn to me for help. Hebrews, again, I've been reading a lot, of, a lot of that lately, particularly in chapter 12, where it says, look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of your faith. You know, when you feel like you're getting knocked down, when you feel like you didn't get up, when you feel like you're not running in victory anymore, turn back to Jesus. See, friends, your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. He's the one who paid all there is to pay. You don't need to pay one single dime for your salvation. And now all he does is ask you to follow him in holiness and obedience so that you can live a life that's fully connected with him, living in his presence and walking in his power. The good news is you're his child. And that's exactly what he wants for you, that you achieve victory as you run this race of life. And may God be with all of us as we do so. Amen.